today on the Rita Mimi Do It Show. And he said, Mike, look, when, when I was working for you, I would teach your salespeople sales principles, which I can do and which he was great at, but I was also teaching them wealth building strategies. And I was paying him a decent amount of money, but he certainly wasn't wealthy. He was living in an apartment and driving a motorcycle. He didn't have a lot of money, and but he was teaching these principles. So then he said, does that make me a fraud? Does that make it wrong? And the answer is no. So as long as you as long as you understand where you're getting the information from, and 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 as long as you're not projecting something that's not a reality, then it's okay. The problem is what's going on in social media is that these guys are in fact projecting something that is not a reality. Because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because of Rita, because of Rita I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and vlogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me. Like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Rita Mimi Do It Show. I am so excited for today because I am I am talking with who I will call my best friend, Mike Alden, and I'll tell you why. So here's how I met Mike. Many of you have heard me talk about Clubhouse and I've been on Clubhouse and I was in one of these like, for those of you who have never been on Clubhouse, I don't know why you haven't been yet. You must be an Android user. But other than that, like I was in one of those big, huge rooms that had tons and tons of people on stage and I was getting irritated. So I decided just to like click on people's uh, profile photos and I found Mike's and it had a phone number in it and it said text me. And I thought, oh, that's cool because I also just got one of these numbers to like text from a company called Community. And I was like, I wonder how how it looks like. I wonder what happens if I text it. So I texted it and then like. I said, hey, I wanted to see how a community number works. And then I got back a message saying, yeah, this isn't a community number. So how did that work out for you? But I was like, oh, okay. And then we just kept talking. And like now Mike is my best friend forever. So Mike, I'm really glad that you're here today. Welcome, welcome. Um, are you really excited? That's how we met. I thought we met on OnlyFans. Yeah, no, that wasn't us. Must have been our gal. Must have been our mutual friend. <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Are you really excited that I became your best friend? Is it like the best thing? I am. You know, it, it, it's it, this app again. Uh, I've been screaming about it from the rooftops as well. Uh, and the ability to connect with like-minded people and just real people is awesome. You know, like you and I are real people. You know, we have a sense of humor uh, and we realize that pretty quickly. We all, all also both happen to be lawyers, which is, you know, interesting. And um, but we, I don't think we knew that. I mean, I think I, I do say that in my profile somewhere. Um, and uh, for me, it's just been amazing. You know, I'm actually currently writing a book right now called Connection Capital. And, and the ability to connect with people on this app is like nothing I've ever seen before. So I am excited that you're, you're my new best friend. And um, I love chatting with you. And yeah, I'm probably... I don't know. Maybe I should should have put a community <laughs> number on there, but oh well, oh well. I mean, I, I, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk about community and texting in a future episode because it's been very interesting. Uh, adding that into like my business building 
model. So that, that's a topic for another day. But today, I'm really excited to have you here. Mike is a best-selling author. He helps other people become best-selling authors. We're going to talk about what that really means. And he also is just real about what it takes to go all in on your business and, and really build it to success. However, we have a few different points of view around that. Not different, but different ways we talk about it. Oh, yeah. So I'm really looking, excited. Oh, shit. I didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah, I'm really excited. Cool. Like, because I usually... Well, be prepared to lose. Be prepared <laughs> yeah, to lose. Like, we have a little bit of... Di- but it's really, it's the same. I think it's just a different way we, we talk about our different philosophies. So I'm, I'm, I am really excited. But it's funny because you talk about the real information about what it takes to build your business. Yet when you advertise one of your first books, it's like, hey, I built a million dollars in a short period of time, right? So it's like, hey, I just like closed my eyes and I hopped up and down on my foot. And then like it was sunny outside. And that's the magic formula to getting a million dollars is what it sounds like in the marketing. And I know that that's not really what you believe or stand for. Really? What marketing are you talking I about? I saw like the see the book behind you, the ask, the ask, the read, yeah, the one. Yeah, ask, ask more, get more. Get more. Yeah. Um, that one, mm-hmm. I saw a write-up of it, and, it's, and there was something around, yeah, I made a million dollars in a short period of time. That was the exact quote. So I was oh, like- okay. Oh, on you! Oh, you probably saw that on maybe. Did you see that on YouTube? I, I don't. I did some okay, reason. Cool. I don't remember. I was going down the the you the YouTube Google rabbit hole, finding everything I could about Mike Alden before we, you know, you know, I had to know about my best friend. So, um, but but anyway, I know that that's not what you stand for. But I am curious. Like you did, you did make a good bit of money in what could be considered a relatively short amount of time. And so for some people who are out there thinking, well, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to make six figures really quickly. I'm trying to make $10,000 a month real quickly and it's not working for me. And I don't understand how people like you can be making like all of this money in a short period of time. I would love for you to talk a little bit about what and we'll we'll get into uh, we're going to go back and then we're going to go forward. This is going to be a hopping around episode because there's a lot I want to talk about. But like, what does that really mean? I made money in a short period of time. What was involved in making a, a large sum of money in a relatively short time frame. Like, what's the truth behind that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to that, right? It's a lot to unpack, as people would say, you know, in that statement. And, you know, what I tell people is a couple of different things. Uh, you know, when people ask me what I do, I always used to start out and say, well, I'm an attorney by trade, just to let everybody know that I'm a lawyer, right? To build credibility. But that just gets to be a little ridiculous. But, but really, uh, I'm a marketer first and then everything else second, right? And so I'm a marketer that I'm a lawyer. I'm a marketer and an author, right? And so, you know, and it's funny you brought this up too, because, and we haven't had this conversation, but I've actually had a real hard time with a lot of these people that are out there that say, oh, you know, you can make $10,000 a month quickly, like you talked about, or you can make this amount of money really quickly. And, and when you really kind of dissect those people and pull back the layers of the onion, you realize that these people are just trying to teach people how to make money when in fact, they've never made money themselves. But they but then it does start to turn into a business. And now they're teaching people how to start a business. Uh, when in fact, their only business is teaching people. Oh, how my God, to start I'm so glad. Business, I'm so glad you which, brought this up. I'm so glad. Yeah. And so and so it's insane to me. And most of them are in their 20s. And look, and here's the thing I talk about in my book, uh, you know, age of Titus, right? Where, where, where I'm too old or I'm too young. That's in my first book, Ask More, Get More. So look, I don't have a problem with 22-year-olds that are out there, uh, you know, kind of teaching people stuff. But what I do have a problem is, is, is if they haven't done it themselves. And see, I've done it myself over and over and over again, you know? And so when you talk about, when I talk about making money quickly, it's also a relative term, like what's quick to you and what's quick to me. You know, so if you really started to, I mean, all depends on, you know, all depends mm-hmm. on what's the definition of is, is. And so as a marketer, that's yeah, a Bill Clinton quote, uh, as, as <laughs> I know, you know, but uh, as, as a, you know, as a marketer, 
the challenge, one of the challenges that I've had recently, because we are lawyers and, you know, I, I look at, you know, you're sitting on one side, right? You're either the plaintiff side or the defense. And I, in, when you're on the plaintiff side, it's black and white to you. You're, you're right. And the other side says they're right. And so there is really a gray area, but we think more in like black and white. Right. And so when I say things like that, uh, it's really not black and white. And so I have had a real kind of internal conflict with myself to be able to say stuff like that, because that's how I think. And the other part that's interesting, Rita, like I, we haven't talked about, but I, it literally has, my mind has shifted recently. When I realized when you look at guys like Grant Cardone or Ty Lopez and, you know, JT Fox and all these other people that, that are all over clubhouse or just in all over social media, there are certain levels of truth to them. And then there's also, I wouldn't even call it stretching the truth. It's more marketing. And so whether you believe that Ty Lopez lived in that house, which I've been to in Beverly Hills, uh, and whether you believe that the Rolls Royces and the Bentleys and the Ferraris were his is really irrelevant. And so it's more about, you know, what he, what his main objective uh, is. Right. And so when I've been to his house and I've seen the cars and the Lambos, they're there. They're real. They're not fake. And so did he rent them? Is he leasing them? Is he renting the house? Is he leasing the house? I'll tell you this. I've been to that house. He's not, he's not there anymore. And when I was there, it was on the market for $45 million. Okay. And if you wanted to rent it, it was $150,000 a month, um, you know, to, to lease, to lease. And, and Tim Ferriss talks about this stuff. And one, I think it's um, the, the four hour work week. Like if you want a Lamborghini and you know, you're making six figures, like you could get a Lamborghini if you really wanted to, you just have to break it down and say, okay, well, I'm going to lease this thing and I'm going to lease it. I'm only going to get 5,000 miles a year. And it's going to cost me like only like 1800, maybe 2,500 bucks a month to get a Lambo. That's what you want. So when I say that I've made money or a million dollars in a short period of time, the short period of time from when I started my business, my first year in business uh, here, uh, when I started in 2008 in the worst economy in the history of the world was 9 million in revenue, in revenue. right? But by the time uh, I actually truly became a millionaire, uh, it wasn't until I was 34. Well, so, I love that. so it really is about asking. It's about asking better questions, too. When you hear this information, knowing that a lot of it's marketing, you have to dig in and get the real information behind it. So there, I'm going to share a story with you. There was a I was watching. I don't know. I was going down Facebook rabbit hole the other day and I found this uh, Facebook live and it was a business coach. But she was telling her career trajectory story and she had been in corporate America, didn't love her job started her own business and it failed right away, right? Like it didn't do well at all. So she pivoted and then in her pivot, it started gaining some traction and it just started gaining some traction. So now she was deciding that she was going to become a business coach and tell everybody like how to build a business, right? Because she had just started getting some traction. And and I thought, well, how how can she do that? But she answered it, right? And the answer was, well, I've read everything that there is to know about starting a business, right? I've taken all the courses. I've worked with all the coaches. I've read all the books. I, I've learned and studied all the habits of all the people. So I have all the information about what it takes to build a business so I can teach you, to which I was like, bullshit. Like, that's actually not accurate because I don't think it's the information 
that really does make the business, right? It's really having done it, having implemented it and go like you can be textbook smart about growing a business. And then there's the reality about actually being the person that has gone through all of the ups and downs and all of the things that it takes to grow. And that's where people need help. It's information's out there. We can Google anything we want and find anything we want and know how to do anything from the education standpoint. But in terms of like everything that comes with doing it, that's where you really need the support and the information about what it takes. So I'm really glad you brought this up because I think that Uh, you brought it up. Did I bring it up? You brought it up. I brought it up. You brought it up. I don't know. We both brought it up, up. but I, I, (laughs) I brought it up. You expanded on it. And I think that (laughs) <laughs> that it's important that people really stop and ask these people who are showing up as experts these kinds of questions, right? If you want to know, you can't make assumptions. You have to, you have to ask questions. Well, you also have to, you also have to make a determination of who do you want to be taught by. So you know, remember, in law school, right? You know, you have, uh, and 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 I would meet these. Uh, so you have these professional students, like, you know, when I, I sat down for the first time in law school, and you know, the girl to my right. Uh, was a PhD from MIT. She had her master's from from Harvard, and I'm and, and I'm like Jesus. Like, when are you going to get into the real world? You know. So she's a professional student, and then you have professors that have never done anything other than teach. And so I actually, and when you ask these questions, when I picked professors that were in business uh, or other subjects. I did research them a little bit to make sure that they had done real things and lived real lives and, and rather than being uh, just uh, an academic, you know, so I want to learn from the people that have done it. So it, it really depends on what you want to know. So yeah, ask the questions. Are you, and here's the other interesting thing that I've also recently come to understand that just because someone is in fact teaching you stuff that they learned from someone else, it doesn't make it wrong. Right. It just doesn't make it wrong. And it doesn't make them a fraud either. What makes them a fraud would be as if they were to say that they've done it. Yes. So, you know, I and I had this conversation with a guy that I hired. uh, I've known him since elementary school. He actually scored a perfect score on his SATs, which is kind of interesting. Um, And and he we just like literally just had this conversation. I was sitting in that chair right behind me. And he said, Mike, look, when, when I was working for you, I would teach your salespeople sales principles, which I can do and which he was great at, but I was also teaching them wealth building strategies and I was paying him a decent amount of money, but he certainly wasn't wealthy. He was living in an apartment and driving a motorcycle. He didn't have a lot of money and, but he was teaching these principles. So then he said, does that make me a fraud? Does that make it wrong? The answer is no. So as long as you, as long as you understand where you're getting the information from and, and, and as long as you're not projecting something that's not a reality, then it's okay. The problem is what's going on in social media is that these guys are in fact projecting something that is not a reality, right? The Lambos and the cars and the success and all this other stuff. That's the problem. So, you know, I just say to the people that are listening right now, whatever choice you make, trust, but verify. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now let's dip back a little bit into your trajectory. Cause you have like, you definitely have very interesting stories in your life, but what made you you didn't just come out of the womb saying, I can't wait to help people publish best-selling, best-selling. Maybe you did. I don't know. But like, I know you didn't. But I actually didn't. (laughs) You're like, I just can't wait to help somebody become a best-selling author. But you became a lawyer. And I know that that was rooted a lot in your upbringing Mm -hmm. and wanting to really, you know, learn about the rights that people have and help people preserve their rights. So 
the reality of being a lawyer, what made you leave the law, right? Like you had this passion for becoming a lawyer that was rooted in growing up in really hard circumstances and, and hard family situations and in a neighborhood where police definitely abused power and you were wanting to kind of like protect people, right? And so you right. enter the law. And then you leave, like many of my guests have here on, on my podcast. I, I didn't attract a lot of lawyers that are no longer practicing attorneys. But but why? What what made you leave the law? I don't think I've left. You know, so I don't think I've left. I just, you know, uh, it is, it, you know, when we talk about, you know, the things that I am first. Right. So I'm a marketer slash entrepreneur first. Right. And so. You know, I've always been an entrepreneur before anything. You know, I had the paper out and I was selling lemonade in the, in the summer and I was shoveling and I had, you know, and I mowed lawns and, you know, and I did all sorts of things, you know. So uh, I, I still love the law, law. I love the education and I and I love continuing to talk about it. So I keep my license active here in Mass. They don't have um, CLEs here in Mass, continuing legal education. So you don't have to do that. A lot of lawyers who, quote, leave the law. They do that because they don't want to do the CLEs. That's, no, that's why I did. That's why I did. Yeah, yeah I don't want yeah, to. And it gets expensive, right? Yeah. And uh, and so 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 if you could keep it active, I think you would. And so that's exactly so I'm fortunate this in mass, which is kind of bizarre in mass that they don't do it because mass is um, you know, a pretty like conservative state that you would think that they would require their attorneys to do it because per capita next to I think uh, Rhode Island, we have the most amount of lawyers per capita. Um so yeah, so I did. I never really left, and uh, I I love it, and I love what it what it taught me. But at the same time, when I had an opportunity to start my own business, that's where I really saw it. And I also uh, like a lot of us, like you know, you know, I remember watching the movie A Civil Action. Jan Slickman from a from a Civil Action. He lives literally like three seconds from me, like, <laughs> may, well, maybe, maybe five seconds. And, and I didn't, I didn't even know this. I didn't know that Jan Slickman lives in Beverly Mass, right? Where I live. And, and not only that, but like pretty much on the same street as me. And so you, I watched that movie, A Civil Action, and I read the book. And I remember where I was when I finished the book. I was in Boston Common when I finished the book. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a plaintiff's lawyer. I want to help people. I want to change the world. But then also when you realize what the real world is like, you're like, fuck, like, yeah. this is not, this is not what I signed up for. And this isn't, this isn't really what I wanted to do. I got really lucky as an attorney to start off my legal, legal career in-house. Uh, and the experience I got was second to none. Uh, it's just that my story on that is just insane. Uh, the, literally the day I started. So um, I, I'm still, uh, I still love the law, but I love entrepreneurship more. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. So you did start with your first company, the Blue Vase Marketing. Was that the first company? That was my first started? company in... Wasn't my first company. I actually had a company that, and I and I ultimately declared bankruptcy in law school as a result of that business. And it was a really uh, difficult thing because the business uh, was growing, and I just ultimately ran out of money. And so I had to make the decision: Do I want to try and raise money, which I had no idea how to do, or do I want to finish law school? So obviously, that's what I did, and that was the right decision. But it was interesting because I declared again bankruptcy in law school. So. I didn't know truly the ramifications of that. I didn't know if that could potentially preclude me from being admitted into the bar, right? Because just because you pass the bar exam, you know this, but just because you pass doesn't mean you get admitted. You have to fill out all this paperwork and they have to prove that you have your sound moral character and all these things. And and by the way, they ask if you declare bankruptcy on the app here in Mass. I don't know if they do that everywhere. They do that and, here in Virginia too. Yeah. And so, but but you know, when I talked to the bar association about it, they they they, they really just want to know why. You know, I started a business and it didn't work. It wasn't because I bought, I went out and bought a bunch of 
flat screen TVs or scam people or something like that. I started a business and it didn't work and I had to declare bankruptcy. So, and then I, so that was one of my kind of real first businesses. I talk a lot about that in my books. And then I started Blue Vase in 2008. Yeah. And again, what I like to call up until this point, the worst economy in the history of the world. Yeah, that was that. Well, that's when I ended up actually going in house. I I was working in commercial real estate and real estate law in two thousand seven, when when everything crashed, and that's when I decided to go in house for a company for a couple of years before I also left to build my own business. But, um, so when you started your first, when you started, I mean, your first business and that, what you said, you learned a lot of lessons from that first business and having to declare bankruptcy. What do you think the most important lesson was that you learned from the first business where you had to declare bankruptcy? Um, being undercapitalized is, is one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make. So I was just undercapitalized. You know, I, I had a good friend of mine who's still a great friend today. And he said, Mike, whatever you think you need, multiply it times three. And I was, and I, by the way, I didn't have that, but I also, uh, you know, look, as entrepreneurs, we, we figure things out. And I also, have, uh, uh, I'm of the mentality that I do never want to get to the end of my life and realize that my entire life has been infected by if I had a only syndrome. If I had only done that, if I'd only taken that chance, I knew at 27 when I did that, uh, that I could recover, right? And, and I knew it was a possibility that things could go wrong. I, so I took that chance. But at the same time, if I hadn't taken that chance, I don't think you and I would even be, I don't even think we'd be here. I don't think I'd ha be having this conversation and my life would have maybe gone in a completely different way because when I declared bankruptcy, I ultimately had to find a job, right? Another job. So when I found a job, it was working in a call center in the direct response industry, which is the exact industry that I'm in now uh, that has really built my life, you know? And so it's just weird where life takes you, you know, uh, the decisions you make and the, or the decisions you don't make. But I'll tell you this, I never want to be that guy when I'm sitting on my deathbed and say, man, if I'd only written that book, if I'd only asked her out on that date, if I'd only pursued this a little bit further. And that is one of the biggest travesties in life because you hear it all the time. There was a study that was conducted and they, uh, they, they were literally interviewing people on their deathbed. And, and, I, get, you know, and I, I have it somewhere, but basically one of the questions they asked was, you know, do you have any regrets? And, and, what, and one of the, the answers was, is that they, they didn't regret the risks that they took and failed, they regretted the risks that they failed to take. And so many of us are risk averse. You know, you leaving your corporate job was a big risk as a lawyer. You know, I'm sure you're making great money, as was I. Um, you know, I was making $250,000 a year, which is which today is still great money. And I and I went to a decent law school, but I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to BC. I didn't go to BU. I went to Suffolk Law Knights, which is a great school, but it's not a top tier law school. So I wasn't going to command a Harvard salary, you know? Uh, so, you know, we all take risks and, you know, sometimes you're wrong, but that's okay because you can recover if you want to. If you want to. And I, I'm curious because I grew up um, not in exactly the same circumstances as you, but with a single parent, no support from a father, kind of not Section 8 housing, but like, you know, subsidized housing. Um, well, that is Section 8 if it's subsidized. Well, it, yeah. In Virginia, kind of, no, it didn't qualify as Section 8, but oh, it was like right. a program. Um, but so similar, not the same. But then I noticed that like all the money habits that I had inherited, right, from watching a single mom raise me, definitely made me make 
not great decisions at the beginning of my business because I was taking on a lot from a fear of scarcity, right? And a fear of lack, taking on clients that weren't the right fit clients, like scared to charge higher rates because it was like, well, what if they say no and I don't get any money in, right? I'm curious, did your childhood and upbringing create any decisions in your first businesses that you, you know, look at and go, oh, like, I made these choices because of that. Was there anything that you inherited that you've had to really work hard to change in terms of your your mindset because of the upbringing that you had? Because it wasn't easy. It wasn't abundant. It wasn't money everywhere. It wasn't just like everything I want comes to me naturally and easily and effortlessly, you know? And, and so how has that impacted you as a business owner? What have you had to change in your mindset to really be able to be successful with business? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, they call it hood rich, right? And so, and so every year when my mom would get her taxes, what what did she do with it, right? So my so we'd go to Florida. Like I've I've you know, look, I grew up really poor, but I've been to Disney World a couple of times. How'd that happen? Well, my mom would rent a car, she'd take her taxes, we'd drive to Florida, we'd stay at some shitty little hotel. We would uh we would sit in on uh these uh condo pitches, right, to sell us a condo, which was just insane, just so we could get free tickets to get into Disney World. So like that's how my mother figured it out. But uh, and and I thank her for that. But you know, would it have made more sense if she'd taken that money and maybe invested it, right, and not bought, not maybe not bought the big screen TV or the couch? And so to this day, like right now, to this day, uh, although it's changed for me, but you know, I still kind of struggle with that a little bit, you know, because you know you get stuff and and you're like, oh man, I want to buy that thing. But I've I'm kind of over the material things. I'm over. In fact, it, Reed, I'll tell you. So yesterday I did a podcast and I was rocking, you know, a, the a Rolex right here. Right. And, and it's not, I'm not wearing it now because I used to worry about it. Cause I'd want to wear it. I'd want you to yeah. see it, but that's so ridiculous. But it's also just, just kind of almost like letting people know that like, Hey, you know, I've, I've, I've succeeded, you know, but a lot of people, and I have watches that are just insane money. And most people don't even know what they are. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're like, yeah. You know? Other people don't know. They're like, that's so a nice watch. Okay, but, cool. but here's another weird thing about the whole watch thing. I just, it's just kind of going down that road, but it, and it is, and it is uh, answering your question as well. So I was on Grant Cardone's show. He invited me on a show years ago called power players and how I got on Grant Card- Cardone's show, because when you went to every airport in the country, my book, ask more, get more was everywhere. It had register wraps. It was in the windows. It was next to Tony Robbins book. It was everywhere. Right. And so in Miami where he was, and so he reached out to me and I was on his show and we were talking because he loves the materialistic things. And we were talking about that. And I was rocking the Rolex that I'm talking about. It's the Submariner that everybody sees the blue face and the gold band. And it's a beautiful watch and I love it. And, and, and it means a lot to me for a whole host of reasons. However, uh, when I was on this interview with him, he asked me these questions like, what do you like? And all these other things. And I said, I told him a story about how, how I wanted this watch that I saw this other guy wearing. And I said to the guy, I go, oh, that's a Ulysses Nardin, right? And the guy looked at me all kind of like prim and proper. And he goes, no, it's a Ulysses Nardine. And if you did more business with me, maybe you could afford one. Right? Oh. So I told that story to Grant. And then Grant had a, had a watch on. And I said, you know, Grant, the one you're wearing, I like the Rolex. I said, but the one you're wearing, man, I, I really, that's a, um, what is that? A Hublot? And he goes, uh, no, it's a Hublot. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. Right. And so uh, when I was in Miami, by the way, I was at Miami for Art Basel, uh, which, which they say that during that time, 65% of all the private jets are there uh, during that time. So it's a, just a Uber, the Uber wealthy. I went from Miami to Aruba and I bought the Hublot uh, and, you know, they're crazy money. And the one I got was crazy money. And so here's the point. So I'm at, uh, I was at Ty Lopez's house and I brought that and I was wearing that watch. 
and a guy comes up to me who was very wealthy and he says, I have the same watch. So most average people wouldn't understand that, but when you're in the room and it makes sense to do stuff like that, then, then it makes sense. So it's not like kind of like trying to prove to the world that you're great or I got money. Sometimes when you're leveling up, you know, people want to see that. If I'd walked into the uh, Ty Lopez's house, you know, wearing a Timex, people would be like, they would judge me, you right. know? And so, but uh, just to come, come full circle, uh, it is difficult when you had nothing, uh, when you would wake up in the morning and worry about what you're going to eat and, and your lunch was subsidized by the, by the school and elementary school, middle school and high school. And you had to stand in a separate line because you were that kid. Like, I'll never forget that. And so sometimes I do have to check myself like, okay. In fact, we were just talking about this today. We're like, all right, we didn't go anywhere this year because of COVID, but we're thinking, well, maybe April you know, maybe we will, you know, maybe we'll go in April and financially right now, my businesses aren't doing nearly what they've done before. Right. Can I afford it? Sure. Does it make sense? Eh, maybe not, but it's super cheap right now. So we're like, eh, let's take a look and see, you know, yeah. let's see, you know, my parents have been, um, uh, have got the vaccine. We're, we're healthy. So we're like thinking, you know, but you know, maybe we would go. And so, but there've been times when I've gone on vacation and I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And that's because of that, that mentality. That mentality. So yeah. It's a work in progress, I guess, is the answer to your question. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, cause so here, when I said that we have some differences in, in terminology around business, right? Cause I, I listened to some podcasts that had, you know, you on them in preparation for this and stuff. And there's yeah, you a really lot. You did your homework. I can I tell. Did, I, did my, I do my homework. I do my yeah. homework. Um, but a little bit around, you know, like it's a hustle and it's a grind and you have to like put in the time and like, you know, it's, and there was a, a phrase that you said that I circled like three times, which is, it's always going to be a struggle. Like building your business is always mm-hmm. going to be a struggle to which I asked, do you really believe that? And what yes. do you really mean by that? Because yeah. I, that's where I kind of, I, I disagree, but it could just be a different way that we're defining the word struggle. So I'd love yeah. to know more about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very subjective. What's the, what a str- what, what's considered a struggle to you and considered a struggle for me are, t- are two different things, maybe, or maybe not, you know? So it's never going to be easy, plain and simple. So if you think that the life of an entrepreneur is easy, you're wrong. And that's really what I mean. And so there are going to be struggles and there are going to be things, times where you're going to wake up and think that it's just not going to work. But yeah, that there are going to be beautiful moments too. And you may go a certain period of time and everything just seems like it's great. And I opened up with that in my last book, um, Blueprint to Business. I tell a story. I'm in my pool in this house that I built in a private neighborhood in the same town I grew up with. And I'm getting ready to go on my boat. Like the whole thing just sounds so pretentious. <laughs> Right. It just does. It just sounds yeah, a little, little bro. Yeah. A, a, lot, a lot pretentious, you know, but I then go on to say, I got a text message from a guy who says I owe him 12 grand and I didn't realize it. And I'm like, if I owe him 12, who else do I owe money to? So, um, so yeah, there is always a struggle and the, the levels of struggle are, are different things. You know, I had Les Brown on my podcast and I talked to him a lot about pain and the struggle. And he said, Michael, it's the struggle that creates life. And if you really look at one's life and you really look at the successful people and like when I say success, I'm I'm talking about uber successful, right? People that you know about when you look at Elon Musk or, or Bill Gates or, or whomever it is you feel as though is successful, even the celebrities and the musicians and the, you know, and the actors we all see, you know, people think that they just got there. No, like they, they didn't just get there. If you really look, dive into the lives of these people that are on screen and that are gazillionaires. They took huge risks and they had huge losses, right? And so that's kind of what I mean by that when I say it's always going to be struggle. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement on that. They're always going to be th- like I always say, 
I think building a business is simple, but it's not easy. Well, anybody I, can build a business. Yeah, anybody. Can, it's simple. Like this, and and you know, you can write a book. You can all of those right. things are simple, but they're not easy. Like they're very difficult, right? Like building a business is going to feel difficult because it's not the easiest thing you've ever you've ever done. It's gonna it's gonna be difficult. But I think sometimes those words grind and hustle put people in a very unhealthy place that end up sabotaging their business so that they think like, well, I'm supposed to work without sleep and I'm supposed to, you know, grind, grind, grind. And like, and I'm just kind of like, no, like, let's redefine what grinding means or let's redefine what hustle means. Because you've even said if you don't enjoy the process of building your business, it's not going to succeed. Right. There's a quote that I love that I when I heard you say that, that I I reminded myself of, which, which is the process of getting there is the experience being there. So a lot of people are like, well, once I'm making this much money or once I'm, then I can travel, then I can live my life, then I can sleep more, then I can do all of this stuff. But the reality is, is if the process of getting to that goal doesn't include getting sleep and traveling a little bit and balancing time with your family, then once you've reached the goal, it's going to feel it's not going to feel different. You're not suddenly able to just start traveling and spend time because the entire process uh, is dependent on you not sleeping and is dependent on you like not traveling and not spending time with your family and not do it. And it becomes very hard to unravel. So I think that like we have to redefine grind and hustle to be like, no, you have to build a healthy process of reaching the goal. And it has to mirror kind of what you want the goal to be like when once you get there. Do you do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah. You know what? You know, in my book, Blueprint to Business, I talk about, you know, doing the things that most people won't, you know, and so and and I do not talk about lack of sleep. In fact, in 2014, when my book, Ask More and Get More, I was talking about mental health before it was an in thing. Yeah. You know, I was talking about transcendental meditation before people, you know, when people thought it was like a cult, you know, so, you know, I talk about nutrition and going to the gym every day and getting massages, you know, to take care of one's, one's mental and physical health. So no, like the grind is a real thing. But my point is that people think that they're grinding. They have no fucking idea what a real grind is like. Yeah. When you are working a legitimate 14 hours a day, because sometimes that's what it takes. And if you, and if you can't commit to that, then you shouldn't be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. because there are going to be sleep, sleepless nights. There are going to be sleepless weeks. There is going to be extreme stress. However, you can balance that and you should balance that and you need to be self-aware. And so, you know, the grind is real. All these assholes that are out there on Facebook and Instagram and whatever that are talking about the grind because they're, you know, they're posting pictures and selfies of themselves on the beach and they think that that has something to do with the grind. I'm talking about waking up in the morning and your bank account's negative $146,000 and you have 200 employees and you don't have the money right. and you have to figure it out. Like that, that's, that's what's my life. That's the great. Yeah. That, that's the grind. Like the grind comes in the challenges, right? Of right. growth and, and of growing and not necessarily the grind. Like, you know, don't eat well and, and sacrifice all the things and that's do, bullshit. you know, to a lot. that's, yeah, because that's going to root. I mean, that's the exact opposite of what it, you need to do to build a successful because we want it to be sustainable, too. You might have a flash in the pan success, you know, grinding and hustling in the traditional way. The long term grind, like, you know, so so look, you know, I can text Grant Cardone right now. Uh, and he'll respond. And you know, like I said, I was on his show. Well, then, then do it and tell him all yeah, about me yeah, and yeah, like yeah. make sure he gets on mine. <laughs> but, 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 but he, but here's the thing. I don't necessarily agree with the cover of his book, the 10X rule, the cover of the book, yeah. because a lot of people see that and they believe that, oh, I, if I just 10X my actions, then I'm going to be successful. No, because here's the thing. Physiologically, like your brain, your, your body, your anatomy cannot do that. It's, it is, it is biologically impossible to 10 X your activity and maintain it long-term plain and simple. Yeah. However, however, 
you can get to the type of 10x activity if, and like my book, 5% More, which is also right behind me, if you, you, what you do is you compound on your successes each and every single day. So if you're, if you're at the gym and you want to get healthier or you want to run a little bit further, you're not going to run 26.2 miles today. You start out at running 0.2 miles today. And then it's, and that's 0.4, then it's 0.6, then it's 0.8, then it's a mile, then it's 1.2. And then it's maybe, then it, maybe it's 1.8. So, so whatever it is um, that you, that works for you physically and mentally, that's how it works. Then eventually from where you started to where you're at today is in fact 10x. But I think, again, people make a really, it's, it's a real, really challenge and everybody gets burnt out and then it doesn't work. Yeah. And then they get pissed off at whoever because they're like, man, I 10x my action. I grinded it out for day in and day out, you know? But the other thing too is, is people also confuse activity with accomplishment. Oh, thank God. Yes. 100, 100%, right? Just, I, I always say, take it back to corporate America. Like I could have a full busy day in corporate America working 12 hours and not have gotten one damn thing done by the end of the day, right? Like being busy and checking off a to-do list is in no way the marker of growing a successful business at all. So what do you think is like, like like show an example of a difference for somebody who's out there going, but wait a minute, my, I am filling my day and I am doing all the things and I'm showing up and I'm networking and I'm posting on social media and I'm showing up in clubhouse and I'm checking the boxes and like, it's not happening. So like, what would, what should they stop and think and do instead? I think one of the biggest things that people uh, lack in, so look, you know, I said building a business is easy. It is actually easy to build a business. And again, a very kind of subjective term, like what's a business? Because you and I can set up a business in 24 hours and here it is. I just built a business. Yeah, right. You know, right? We've got a business, business so, owner. So I got bank accounts, I got EINs. I just built a business. And yeah. you hear these people say, oh, I have 60 businesses. You know what? I probably have about 30 and they're in, 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 in about five different countries. But the ones that are in different countries aren't doing anything. They're there. They're really there for protection. That's why they're there. And actually, we have done business, like actual business transaction money back and forth in China, in the UK, in the Isle of Man, which I didn't even know was a fucking place until we got bank accounts there. Um, and, and so so I, I think one of the biggest things where most our entrepreneurs are lacking in is the ability to execute. And and so when you're when you're busy with activity. Try to focus on execution. And so you are going to have those days where you don't accomplish anything. And that's fine as long as you as long as you can check yourself and look back. So what I like to do, and I don't do it all the time, is I like to go back and say, what did I what did I actually accomplish this week? Did I get that deal done? Um, did I really solidify the relationship that I've built? You know, is it is it is it growing? It doesn't always have to turn into money in your bank account or contracts signed. So you have to give yourself parameters on what for me is considered an accomplishment. You know, people call it like a valuable final product. Like what is the valuable final product for you for whatever it is you're trying to do? And did you get there? And if you didn't, uh, I do this by the way with all my executives, we go back to the week prior and say like, why didn't we get there? And and how do we fix that? Right. And so it's rooted in really self-awareness because you can get that dopamine rush that we all get when we get excited about business and the things that we're doing and you feel like you're doing stuff. But then when all reality, you realize you're just doing busy work that isn't accomplishing anything. So execution is the key. So if you have that idea or you have that business plan or whatever it is, then you need to execute and make it happen. I'll tell you something that's going on in my life, like literally right now in our business. We, we, we my, my primary source of income is from television, which is the dying medium, right? So I don't think it's ever going to fully die. It's just going to, ch- it's changed, obviously, right? 
Um, but we're, we've seen it for years and we haven't adapted fast enough. It's just, we just haven't. So this year I said to all my executives, I said, here's the deal. When we go back up on TV with our advertisers, cause we came down during the election. When we go back up, we are 100% uh, going all in on digital because that's what people are. That's social media. That's ad, that's, that's retargeting. That's, you know, that's email marketing. That's text messages. That's all the stuff that's happening right now. I am no longer interested in our customers who literally still have rotary phones. And, 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 and that's actually probably about not the rotary phones, but my customers, an older, an older database, but eventually they're going to die, literally going to die, which means we're going to die. So from an execution standpoint, I said to my guys, these are the things we're going to do. I need you to do them because I don't even know how to fucking do them, but I know how to tell you how to do them yeah. and let's get them done. We've done that, right? And our sales, like it, it, it's it's remarkable what's happening. To, like I was, just, I was just on the phone with our COO and I'm like, Jeff, it's working. He's like, yeah, I know. I go, just imagine <laughs> if we did this eight years ago, where we'd be today, yeah. you know? So we fucked up. And the execution part of it, because we didn't learn it. Now we didn't learn it because we were fat and happy because we were crushing it, doing fifty million a year. When we, when we, when we probably could have maybe even done less revenue, revenue, and been more profitable. So, I'm, I am far from perfect, uh, and I'll, and I'll tell you that. And a lot of people won't, you know. But I also learn from my mistakes, and then ultimately, at the same time, sometimes you're put in a position where you're either you need to make the decision or someone else is going to make it for you. And I've been in boxes like that several times in my career, and it's not a very comfortable situation. So make the decision before someone else makes it for you. And I think the reality too is like, we learn from our mistakes, but at every new level of business or every new path of business, like some of the same things come up just in different ways, right? So it's like, you know, you hear the new level, new devil, right? It's like some of the same. So I don't want anybody to feel like, well, when does it stop? When does it feel like I'm not like you You don't like every new level, you're going to feel like you're faced with some of these same habits and some of these same obstacles. And you're, you're going to have to check yourself again and go, am I falling back into just being busy versus execution? It's it, it doesn't end. Like it doesn't, it just feels different at different levels. And I love what you said, because our brain is very tricky and it will, um, if you think about something all day, it thinks you actually did something all day. So it can't differentiate thinking about doing it from doing it. And so you have to go to, and, and I had a client the other day, cause I work with a lot of solopreneurs, right? Like solo LLCs and, and just one, you know, one off single member LLCs maybe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I have, she's like, Rita, but you don't, I like, I was doing all this stuff. I was applying for speaking engagements all day long. And I said, what did you do all day long? And she was like, well, I researched and I found the names and I created a spreadsheet and I like found all the con. And I said, how many emails did you send out for a speaking engagement? She was like two. And I was like, okay, so you spent eight hours to send out two emails. Right. And she's like, I guess I didn't really execute as much as I thought, but it felt like I was doing it all day long. So I'm really, and I think also that 10 like to go back to, to Grant and, and 10X is, you know, sometimes like I had a client say, well, I, I can only work 20 hours in my business and I want to make all of this money. And I said, I think you can do it. No, I think you can do it. I just think you have to make really big decisions. It means you're going to have to charge a lot more than you're comfortable charging to take on fewer clients, you're, to make the money you want to make. You're going to have to outsource a lot really quickly and pay for that. Like You can build a business and make the money you want working only 20 hours a week, fine. But you're going to have to make a lot of hard decisions and big decisions that are going to feel real uncomfortable and scary in order to make that 
happen, right? And she was like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't know that I'm ready to like charge that much money and like do that. And like, then you can't do it, right? Like, right. you, I think you can have anything you want. It's just what does it take to make it happen might not feel great. It might not feel good. I want to talk about that with books. So here's why. Here's why I had you on, Mike. Other than you're just, you know, a lot of fun and my my best friend. But uh, but I haven't written my book. <laughs> I haven't written a book. I keep talking about writing a book. I've talked about writing two books now. I talk about it a lot. I think about it a lot. I don't execute on this a lot. And I know I'm not the only one out there who thinks about and and I'm a I'm a professional speaker, so I understand the reality that having a book is going to be really, it, it has been already, and it is now, and it will continue to be very important for me in that arm of my career to have a book. So why do most people do what I do, where they talk about it, they have ideas for it, and then it comes time to sit down and write the book, and it's like crickets. What, what's going it's on? Hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. And, and for those, and, you know, and, and I also do not believe that everybody has a book in them too. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, you know, I'm in all these rooms and this is what I do now. It's well, not what I do primarily, but it's turning into a real business for me. And uh, I'm just not going to bullshit people. I don't think everybody has a book in them. I think a lot of people just live boring lives. And, and, and like, and so, you know, if someone tells you you have a book and you like really said, do you really have a book in you? You know, I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you and I like, you know, kind of know each other, but I don't know everything about you, but you know, from, from what I do know, yeah, I think you do have a book in you as a professional speaker, you know, absolutely. You know, but if you're just some average everyday person, no. So, and, and I think a lot of people did basically just rob people, but say, Oh yeah, you have a book. I'll help you with that. And let's do this. So it's hard. It's really hard to write a book. And, and so I'm writing my book now again, called connection capital. And I took a picture of it. I, I think I might even sent it to our mutual friend, uh, just, a, and it just said, Connection Capital. It's all our, our mutual friend is Rachel D'Alto. She was on the Rachel. last episode, the last guest episode of my podcast. Go back yes. and listen to her. Yes, she's a <laughs> she's a prolific author and speaker herself. Yes. Uh book's coming out with Simon and Schuster this year. So um, so you know, it's getting started. It's also not understanding the process. So look, as lawyers, right, our last year in law school, we have to write a paper that is of publishable quality, right? And I'm pretty sure that's like every law school in the country have to do that. And so you do that because you have to. <laughs> you're forced to. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to graduate, right? Um, and in fact, I graduated and I had to go back and finish it even after I graduated <laughs> because there was like because there were a couple of things that didn't fit the blue book citations. I was like, really? You can't <laughs> change the comma for me? You know? Oh. So that's jeez. Uh, oh. I'm not I'm not bitter about that. No. Um, and so so writing a book is really hard to do. And I think now and where we're living today, there are so many different resources for people that they can kind of speed up the process. This microphone that I'm talking on is one great way to do it. My last book, Blueprint to Business, started out as, as a compilation of me just going straight to the mic on my podcast, The Alden Report. And so when I, when I was just speaking about particular subjects, including how I can't stand life coaches who have no fucking idea what they're talking about, which by the way, Wiley cut out of the book because they thought it was a little too harsh. No. <laughs> um, so, but I, I was reading all this stuff. We had a transcribe. I was like, you know what? This is kind of great content. Let's put it together in the book. Let's see what it looks like. You know? So, so if you're having trouble writing a book, um, you know, you don't have to actually write it. You know, the other thing too, that people don't understand is you are probably writing your book right now. Just because it's not being put on paper or on your computer screen doesn't mean you're not writing it, you know? And so you're putting together your thoughts, you're thinking about the idea, but then it does come down to the execution part. So, so, so many people have that fear of, you know, like, um, what about grammar? What about sentence structure? What about the arc? And what about this? And what about that? And, and, and I'm kind of doing that right now. So before you, you and I, I was at my house, I came over to the studio. 
I was writing some stuff down and then kind of like almost like what they teach you uh, when you take the bar exam uh, in one of the writing co courses that I took. And when you get to the end, because because when you know you remember when you take in the, the written part of it, you only have, I think, 35 minutes per. So when you get down to that, like last kind of couple minutes or so, if you if you can't cover everything, I was taught to say, if time would allow, I would have talked about bank. And then you just list all the stuff, right? So be, just before I left with you, I was in the middle of the story, but I knew I had to come here. So then I just, not only did I just kind of just give myself some stuff to remind myself what I was talking about, but then I had a couple other things. I was like, oh, and I just wrote just words, just, just words on my page to remind myself. And, it, and if you looked at it right now, it just, just looks like a crazy person talk, right? But you got to get it started somehow. So if you really feel like you need to write a book or you want to write a book, uh, you know, procrastination is the failure disease. And if I had only syndrome it is a really scary thing. And so, um, and you know, marketing a book is really difficult. That's well, I want to, I want to talk about, so, yeah. so you, you do. Okay. So there, trust me, I got some things to talk about here. So you do hear that the book is the new business card, right? So I, I find it interesting that you say not everybody has a book in them yet. You're hearing, especially for business owners, you need to have a book to get taken seriously, to get on stages, to get on the media. A speaker. I, yes. I think that's important, but not, so not every, you don't believe that every business owner just has to have a book to, okay, cool. So then, no, 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 no hold on. Yeah. I don't believe every business owner has a book in them, in them. But it I just helps. don't believe in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and maybe I'm wrong. I just, I just, again, I think some people just live boring lives. And I don't think that, I, you know. What like, about like an education book though? Like here are like 20, 20 mindset tips to like live a better life. Or you know what I mean? Like you hear, you hear everybody can just get a book out real quickly. You, you just like piece together some of your content and slap it together in a book. And now you can say you have published I think it, I, I think it's a travesty. I, th I think it, I think it's, you know, a, a joke. Yeah. You know, um, you know, my first book is a decent book, but you know, now, well, cause I'm actually going to release it again, uh, a, a second edition of it. We're going to go back and clean it up and make it a much better book. Uh, so that's the other thing too. I think a lot of people who do truly have a book in them get caught up in and the quality of it, you know, like the quality of your book today versus the quality of your book, you know, years from now may be different because you evolve just like everything else as a human being, you get better, you know, every year Ford comes up with a different version of the last car that they had and they make it a little bit better. You know, that's just, that's just life. And so, um, you know, if you, if you really feel like you have something, sure, go ahead. And you know, the risk is a lot lower now because if you did want to just put something up there on Amazon and just get it out there, great, mm -hmm. go for it. Years ago, that didn't really exist. And years ago, it was really kind of like frowned upon. But for someone like you or like our mutual friend, Rachel, or someone like me uh, to have like a business book or a self-help book that is self-published, I think it's a mistake because there's a huge credibility factor. Now, my book right now um, called Bestseller Secrets you know, the business model just doesn't make sense to have it with an author or even beyond, excuse me, with a publisher or even beyond on, on Amazon. It just doesn't make sense. It's a free download. Uh, it's a, it's a free plus shipping, uh, model. That's just, it's a whole model that, that, that you know, I'm going to talk about it tonight actually, but so, you know, um, I guess that to, to kind of like, again, come full circle on it is, is you, if you really feel like a book can help you, you just got to start. Well, I'm going to say something that's probably going to make people mad. I've never, I don't think I've ever said that. I might've said this publicly once in my Facebook group, not because I have, it just, it hasn't come up, but you hear a lot of people saying, but I'm an Amazon bestseller. I'm an Amazon bestseller. I'm an Amazon bestseller, right? To which, I mean, we all, not everybody, but there's a story about a guy who literally like took a picture of his left of his foot, foot, right? And like became an Amazon <laughs> 
bestseller and that's all the book was because he knew the hacks right on where to list it and how to do because it he so was a, it became, because he was a marketer that's the other key part of that element too yeah so so to me when i hear people say i'm an amazon bestseller i kind of i hate to say i, I mean i think it's still wonder you did stuff you were a good marketer you're good whatever uh but i i don't hold as much credibility on that as i do as with, you should right as a new york so tell people the difference between being a new york times bestseller for example and an amazon that's yeah. So, so, so Amazon is interesting. Okay. So look, Amazon's algorithm is hourly. Okay. So whatever genre, genre you're in, uh, fiction, nonfiction, novels, children's books, whatever, they have like thousands of subcategories. Uh, Amazon sells 75% of all books sold worldwide. And there are, uh, there are roughly probably about a million books each year that come out. Right. And so, uh, when you're on Amazon, you're competing with all of those books. And so to, to, to be number one in one of your categories is you know, it takes a certain level of skill, right? But there's also ways to totally game it. Uh, but to be number one in multiple categories, that's like a whole nother level, which a lot of people just can't do because you do now you have to really actually start to sell some books. But then to do what I've done, which is, you know, top three on Amazon against all books in the world, like it's every category uh, and number one in hundreds of categories, like that's like legit hardcore marketing. Same thing with barnesandnoble.com. Like my book was the number one book in the world multiple times on bnn.com and I've done it for other authors as well. And so that's hardcore marketing. That's moving a shit ton of books. That's not just changing your subcategory to something that is less competitive. So if I'm in the category of happiness, which is competitive or self-help, which is competitive, I'm number one in those, right? And so to be number one in nautical design is a joke. But if you're number one, in self-help or if you're number one in business or in economics or some of these kind of really like that is cool. And that does carry a certain level of credibility. Now, the next level is these coveted lists, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, those like the big three. And then all these regional papers happen to Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the, the Herald, Miami Herald, like Chicago Tribune, uh, LA Times. They also have them. And then there's also Publishers Weekly has their own list and uh, uh, Apple has their own. So uh, for the digital. Um, so it, it's 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 night and day from Amazon to these to these other ones. When you start to play with the big boys and girls, so to speak. Uh, now you're talking about moving thousands of books in a very short period of time. And so that uh, is can be done uh, in a way that is not crazy money, but it's um, it's it's at least five figures. That's just the way it is. Now, are there outliers and books that just get published and all of a sudden out of nowhere? Sure. Super rare, few and far in between. And if you're going to rely on that because you think your book is great, well, you're making a huge mistake. Because I give the example, the recent example of Kevin Harrington. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he wrote the book Mentor to Millions. The guy is literally the creator of the infomercial. He was one of the original sharks from Shark Tank. He's got a massive reach. He's not like super famous, but his co-author is Mark Tim. And Mark Tim is one of the largest retailers on uh, on Amazon as well. They launched their book Mentor, Mentor to Millions. And week one, it, didn't, it hardly did anything. It did, it did more than what most authors would ever possibly imagine, but it didn't even put him in, in contention for some of these lists. He engages me uh, week two. Week two, we crushed it for him. We sold uh, right around 13,000 copies. We got him to USA Today and Wall Street Journal. That was a well-thought-out, executed plan uh, with military precision. That's what it takes. Now, here's the thing about books. Books are different than selling any other product or service out there. And the reason why I know this is Kevin Harrington has sold five billion dollars worth of stuff, mm -hmm. and he and he couldn't sell his books with 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 you know. With, and by the way, I know he spent a lot of money on it too. We've talked, we're friends. 
you know? Um, and he was like, you know, he doesn't really swear, but he was like, I was like, fuck man. Like, <laughs> you know, like, well, like Kevin, like you should be on the New York times, you know, because of what he's done, you know? So, uh, I did another book for, a, for a prolific author. Uh, you know, he's a professor at Georgetown. He owns his own publishing house. Uh, he speaks at South by Southwest. He's just, uh, one of the, he, at one point, I think he was ranked as one of the top 100 speakers in the world. Uh, we sold 20,000 copies of his book where he was the number one book on uh, wall street journal, uh, list because of me. Uh, and he didn't get the New York Times. So the New York Times is a bit of an enigma, and the New York Times is also a curated list. The other part about the New York Times that people don't understand is, is that if you see, depending on your category, there's either 10 or 15 spots. <clears throat> if you're in the category with 15 spots, you really only have about three chances because all these other books that are on there have been on there for weeks, sometimes months, even years. So you only have three, and it's, and it's curated, meaning some human over there makes the decision not based off of numbers, but based off of the book, the quality of the book, the publisher, who you are, your social media, all that stuff. Now, you can certainly do your best and try and put yourself in the best position, but there is no guarantee to make really any of those lists. Now, one more, USA Today. USA Today is the top 150 books in all categories, in all genres, it's so it's top, and it's, it's straight sales. However, that list now is also being curated a little bit because I've seen some books that have done some big numbers and not made the list. So, uh, and it, and it's just because the quality of the book just sucked. Yeah. So if you think you can just buy your way onto these lists these yeah. days, not going to happen. Not going to happen. So I, so I'm curious, like, I would say that the best time to think about marketing your book is before you even start writing 100%. your book, right? That I think that you really need to take marketing into account in the right in how you're writing your book and what you're writing so that you can help position that but but knowing that most people don't do that right they get inspired they sit down they write a book they're like here's my book and now they want to market it to make it better so what would be some tips or suggestions that you have for people who have a book and they're like well I put it out there and it didn't it didn't get traction yeah. no, nobody it, it got a couple of things I bring it to some speaking engagements and hand it away for free but I really want to ramp this up where would they start yeah. So it's exactly what you said. You start literally before you put pen to paper, before you you type that first letter on that screen on your on your desktop or your phone. So what do they think about? So so if they're going, okay, well, before I start writing my book, I need to think about marketing. What should they be thinking about? So they, they need to think, I'm not one of these guys is, oh, let's define your avatar and your target market and all that other stuff. That There is, there's value in that, right? But what I think the easiest thing to do at first is, you know, let's look at your warm market. Let's look at your friends, family, relatives, neighbors, you know, kind of a la MLM people. The problem is, is people, authors mostly, they, they think because the quality of their book, it's just going to sell. And that's just not the case. And so you as the author need to sell the book. Now, I don't care who your publisher is. If you're, if it's Simon and Schuster, if it's Wiley like mine or Greenleaf like mine, or if it's mascot like mine, or if you're self-published, the only way your book is going to sell is if you market and with a focus on selling the book. So um, so some of the things that you need to do is, is when you're, when you decide when your book is going to be published, your publication date, you know, so let's say it's March 1st, right? And so I don't even know what today is. Today is what the 10th. Yeah. So let's say your book, uh, well, let's move it up. So let's say your book is April 1st, right? So from now until April 1st, your primary focus and including whatever else is going on in your life is to call together and meaning put together as many pre-orders as possible for your book. And there's a lot of reasons why, but some of the biggest reasons are is uh, momentum. When you start to get momentum, people that don't know you, right? If they get on Amazon and they, and let's say they look at, um, 
you know, a, let's say it's self-help, right? So if, if your book is starting to climb in the ranks on Amazon and they look at another self-help book, Amazon and its AI will then say, well, people who bought this book may be interested in that book. And so people talk about leveraging other people's audiences. That's one great way to do that. So, so when, when you have your publication, I, my books, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on my one right now. It's not coming out until September. And so I don't even know how many months that is, but so, so it's a long, it's a long time to, to put together this plan. And that, if that's what you want, like if you want New York times, if you want some of these big, big lists, you need to think about, you know, um, you know, how many pre-sales you're going to get now. And, and you're like, okay, Michael, what, what exactly do you mean? So I'll give you an example. And this is just the real world stuff. Mm-hmm. This isn't gaming the system. This is just playing in the game. I learned this when I hired a book, a book marketer and I paid him a ton of money early on. And they just totally just basically just fucked the whole thing up. Right. <clears throat> so, so, you know, let's say you have a, a, you know, you're a speaker, right. And so this is what a lot of speakers do. Maybe people don't know this. Maybe, maybe they do, but let's say, you know, um, I don't know what your fee is, but whatever, let's say it's 20 grand. Right. So rather than getting paid the 20, you might say, look, pay me five and buy $15,000 right. worth of my book. <clears throat> but here's the thing though. When they buy $15,000 worth of your book, it's then what you do with those books and how those books get sold. Because those books were really sold. Your client may not have $15,000 worth of people that want their book. They maybe they want maybe like 100 books. So those other, let's say 900 books, you now have those books. You've been paid for them. They've really been sold. So then there's a plan and a strategy on how to actually make sure that those sales that really happened mm-hmm. are happening uh, in a very concise period of time. And they're happening in different places all over the country. I'll give you an example. Grant Cardone, his last book, Be Obsessed or Be Average, right? When I bought his book, he was on my podcast for it too. But when I bought his book, I bought two because I wanted to see what happened. I got one from Barnes and Noble and I got one from, from amazon.com. I bought it right from his portal though. Okay. So he was controlling that. So if you are really trying to hit these lists, you need to control it. You need to know what's going on. You're not going to be able to control everything, but if you have a certain level of control, then you can also manage your inventory. I ran out of inventory on Wednesday uh, of my push for my book, 5% more. And we had been pre-selling it for six months. Now whose, whose fault that is? Don't get me going on that, but we ran out of fucking inventory and we still, you know, hit the lists, but I was gunning for the New York Times. So um, there's a lot of things to think about, but ideally the first thing I think people need to think about is who am I going to sell my books to that I know? Let's think about them first. Forget about your avatar or the people who you think might buy your book. Let's talk about the people you know are going to buy your book. And when I say no, that means you're going to ask them to buy your book. My first book is titled Ask More, Get More. Your mom, because she's your mom, you think would buy your book. Your dad, you think he would just buy your book. Your siblings, your best friend, you think that they would just buy your book. Well, here's the thing that I found out. They might not. It's crazy. Why? They love you. They want to support you. But maybe they're older. They don't even have it. They don't have a prime account, whatever. They don't know how to do this stuff. So then they, then they, but they feel like just like voting. Mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter because you're successful and they don't need your help when in fact they do. So you need to ask for the sale as well. As an author, a lot of them are introverts. You're not because you're a speaker and a lot of these people who are speakers, but these academics, yeah. man, they're like, they don't know what to do. So you need to ask for the sale. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that guy. So I want you to think about that. And, and I'm so glad that Mike brought this up because I, I try to tell people, hey, the best time to think about the marketing piece is before you write it. And and if you have written it, you can still sit down and, and work through a lot of what Mike does. And so I want you to know that. But it's not just like 
throwing spaghetti on the wall and hoping it sticks. It's not write a book and they will come and they will buy it. And you have to still show up and be the person who is selling the book and their things to consider. So what what would you say is a mistake? So I want to get into Let's say I want to get into Barnes. I want my book to be everywhere. Like you started the podcasting. My book was everywhere. It was in every airport. It was in every... How how does one make that happen? How I does made that ha- I made that happen. You made that happen. So 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 Wiley and Sons is my publisher. They're the fifth largest in the world. They're publicly traded and 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 they do also they do mostly business books, but they also do um, uh, textbooks and things like that, right? Educational stuff. So so they're massive, and uh, you know they're so big that they don't even deal with some of the some of the, of the stores that I got my book in, like Newslink. Okay, so you have Hudson News in the airport, but you also have Newslink. And when I I opened up Newslink myself, uh, at the time, Newslink was smaller. So they're they're really kind of giving Hudson News a run for their money. So they're, they're the two kind of stores that are in different airports across the country. So I opened up Newslink and I sold my book into Newslink. When, uh, when my book was in uh, Hudson News for my first book, Ask More, Get More, I opened it up. I figured out who it was. I reached out to them. But the other part too is, is one of the mistakes is that if you want that stuff and you self-publish, it'll never happen. Like you have to have some type of publisher, a hybrid, a vanity, or or a traditional publisher. You have to be in the system. You have to be distributed by Ingram or Baker, which is the two biggest distributors. It's mostly Ingram. So you have you, if you want that stuff, you need to make sure it happens. I don't care how great your book is. I don't care how great of a salesperson you are. You can go into the local BNN and sell the shit out of your book, and they could say yes, and then they type it in the system and realize, oh, you wait, a minute, you are on Amazon KDP. Sorry, I can't help you. So, so if you envision your books being in BNN or being in Hudson News or Newslink or uh, some of these indie stores or Books a Million, wherever you are in the country, um, you need to make sure that you're with the right publisher too. You know, uh, Publishers aren't going to sell the book for you. They will do some sales for you. Like they'll sell it into BNN. Like that's the other benefit of a publisher is publishers have sales teams and they're going to present your book to the buyer. Right. I happen to know who the buyers are now because I've spent millions of dollars of my own money opening up my own accounts. Like, like to get in Fifth Avenue on in, in, in New York and to be in the window and to have premium placement and end cap displays and register wraps and all that other stuff. I did that. Okay. And I did the same in Chicago. I did it in Boston, in LA, Miami. Um, and and you know, but they would only talk to me because I was with Wiley too. You know what I mean? So um, and, and sometimes your publishers have those contacts, like they'll, they'll say, Hey, this is who you want to talk to. So when you're dealing with a big time publisher, they, they may have the contacts, but it's up to you. Like you so, have to do it. So let's say I sit down, I write my book, this amazing book that's been in my head forever. I finally write it. Cause Mike, Mike made me do it. And then I write the book and I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to think, I mean, I, I don't. I, I, I need to think about the marketing. I need to think about these contacts. I need to think about being with a publisher. So I, cause I want it. I want it in all the places. So maybe I'll just come to Mike. Right. So if I said, I just want to come to Mike and like hire Mike to help me, like, is that something that you do for people? T- tell, tell me a little bit about how you help because you're not a publisher. No. So you're right. So tell me where you come into this picture. <clears throat> yeah. So, so I do the marketing, you know, so, uh, how, what I figured out was when I said it, marketing a book is like, is like nothing else before. And so as somebody who's, uh, when we talk about millions, right. And we can, People want to see my tax returns. You know, unlike Trump, I can certainly show them through. <laughs> so, so, so my businesses have generated hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and they continue to do millions of dollars, and in, in, you know, peaks and valleys, right? So, when I've spent millions of dollars on my books and doing insane things like wrapping a NASCAR or sponsoring my buddy in the World Series of Poker, and when I say wrapping a NASCAR or doing something with that, my first race—I'm not even a NASCAR guy. 
uh, was the Daytona 500. I didn't wrap the car. I didn't have the whole car then, but I did like a dozen races and then, and then some, you know, so that's, that's crazy money. So what I figured out was, is that again, marketing a book and selling a book is really hard. So then I had a mentor and when I want you to have a mentor and my mentor said to me, Mike, look, take a look at what you have rather than what you can get in order to really get what you want. So take a look at what you have in order to get what you want, right? And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, you have a massive database. You've been doing this a long time. You have tons of, of customers. Now I'm I'm the guy on the show in these, in these infomercials. I'm the host. I'm not the pitch guy. So I'm not really necessarily recognizable. Like I'm not going to be in some place and then say, oh, I recognize you. That's not my, my role. It's like right now, like, I mean, I know we're on Zoom, so it kind of goes back and forth depending on how you set it up. But, you know, when someone's being interviewed, you know, a good interviewer makes it about the interviewee, right? And so people don't necessarily know me. However, I got a massive database. So I started marketing my books uh, to my own database, you know, selling Betsy Smith in Topeka, Kansas, a book about self-help. And she's in her 60s and she's retired. She's like, why do I need that? And some people would think, yeah, why would Rita, uh, Rita, oh, Betsy, why, why would Betsy want that? You know? Um, and I don't know, I don't know the answer to that really right away, but then I started doing that and we started having some success. So what I do and how I market things and nobody else in the world does this is I market to my own database. So I would have what they call a closed loop marketing system. I don't, you don't see ads on Amazon or, um, or BookBub or all these lists or all that other stuff. I'm, I'm hitting my own database and I've been doing it now for seven years and I've curated a list that I know just works. And, and so if someone wanted to do just Amazon, we can do that. And I can do that by the way, in like 24 hours. Like if you want to be number one in three categories or more, I can do that in 24 hours. Right. And I, by the way, and I do guarantee that, but if you want wall street, USA today, and New York times, that's a, that's a, you know, that that's an expensive proposition. Uh, it's not expensive because I'm just trying to jack people for money. It's just expensive to do. And so, and, and it takes time and it takes people and it takes systems. And so, um, a lot of authors don't have the time to do that, but they have the resources and they want it. Like they want number one, in wall street journal. Like I did a book for Ram Sharan. Ram has written 26 books. He's a prolific author. He's just, he speaks all over the world. Uh, and he wrote a book about Amazon marketing systems and he wanted number one on wall street journal. And we're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can really get my people to really get behind that, like my own database. But what we did was, is we just stepped it up a notch. Like we made sure we made sure that we're going to have more than what we needed, but you just never know because you're also competing against other books, right? So you might have another book that just dwarfs the types of sales that you're doing. So um, yeah, we can do that for you. And I love doing it because I know what it's like to, I know what it's like to do this. Like this is my book in Chinese, right? This is, this is, this is this book right here in Chinese, like that's the coolest thing ever. But I also yeah. know what, I also know what it's like to hold this book, which is an advanced reader's copy. You can actually, I don't know if you can see it on the spine, it says 2014. And yeah. it also says advanced reader's copy right there. Like it's the, it, it is one of the proudest moments you can imagine, you know, when you, whatever it is you go through and you, you have a legitimate real book in your hands and it's a beautiful thing. But I also know what it's like to have your heart broken and no one buys the book and no one uh, wants to review it and your friends don't buy it and they don't share it on Facebook and they don't do all the things that you would expect. So what are you going to do? So then you have to figure out how do I sell my books to people that don't even know me? And that's what I've really kind of done, um, you know, because in my database, they don't really know me. But, but here's the thing. I do other stuff. But for the most part, when you see me marketing, you don't really see me marketing because it's to my own closed right. loop system.
So, so how can, so how can people get in touch with you to find out more about everything that you do to find your books, to find out more about the process of, you know, engaging you to help them get their books out there? Where, where are the best places to find Mike Alden nowadays? So, so I'm not sure when you're going to air this, but right now, if you go to bestsellersecretsbook.com, so it's bestsellersecretsbook.com. Uh, I'm giving that book away for free. You pay a processing fee. It's like seven bucks. It's 27,000 words. It's not some little you know, five-page pamphlet on how to market. Those guys drive me crazy too. Like it's a real thing. Bestsellersecretsbook.com. I give you the book for free. It's a downloadable version of it. From there, it takes you to another page where you can get all three of my books. They're physical books, right? So if you decide you want to do that, you get that right now as, as I'm sitting today. I, I'm, not, I'm I'm hoping that that by the time this airs, it's still available. April April first. So okay, we'll yeah. You so keep we sh- it, we, we should be able to keep it open by then. <laughs> I'm also giving people a free consult on kind of what what to do and how to do it. I take a look at their book, whether it's written, whether it's partially written, whether it's already been published. Um, I'll spend a, a half an hour and I'll you know kind of give you everything that I, I would give anybody who's paying me a lot of money to do that. So bestsellersecretsbook.com. If you just want to connect with me, it's at Mike Alden 2012. 2012 is just when I started to really get active on social media. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Um, and in Clubhouse, where you Clubhouse is just at Mike Alden, and I'm wearing my wicked happy hat and 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 my and my here we are and my 99 cent sunglasses, which I'm not wearing now, uh, as well. And you know, look, the other thing too is. If you had, if you just had questions, I respond to everybody. Uh, and even though it's starting to really pick up as far as, especially with Clubhouse, but I respond to everybody. I don't have an intern do it. I don't have a VA do it. I'll do it. And if you did have questions, uh, I'll certainly try and help, help you out, whether you're paying me or not. Yeah. So I will be randomly texting you lots of questions because now I am going to so get you my, my, my book you have, two, yeah, you have two cell. Now. I know. I just have the bat line into Mike. And I'm really glad that I got to introduce you to my audience. I know that this was so helpful with everyone thinking about what it really takes both to build a business and become a successful author because it's never what you think. It's never what's totally being presented because there are great marketers out there who are marketing you something that's not 100% legit. But with Mike, you can get the real information about what it takes because he really does want you to get your message out there, to get your book out there, and he wants to help you do it. So Mike, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you. Thank you. You know, I've been on a bunch of these and I've had people say this to me too, but like, you're really good at what you do. So I just want you to know that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I can't wait to have a TV show one day. Whoever's listening out there are going to make that happen. (laughs) All right, guys. And I will catch you next week on another episode of the Read and Mimi Do It show. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Read and Mimi Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, Every month, one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamimidoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode. Oh,